Shabbat Shalom. I am so delighted to be here with Elias, Michelle, and Dan in our favorite space, the Gantt Chapel. We are taping on Wednesday morning, February the 7th. This is showing on Shabbat, February the 10th, which is the Shabbat right before the Super Bowl, Super Bowl weekend. And I bring that up because I want to kind of frame our content today with the football story. Several years ago, the San Francisco 49ers made a bold decision. They decided to trade three first-round draft picks to move up in the draft because they made a decision that they wanted the quarterback of the future to be a guy named Trey Lance. Trey Lance played for a small college. He only played one full year before the pandemic. But on the basis of that one year that he played, they felt like, wow, this guy is going to be special, so special, we're going to trade our future, mortgage our future to get him. So they made this very bold decision. They drafted Trey Lance, thinking that he was going to be their superstar. As an afterthought, with their last draft pick, they drafted another quarterback named Brock Purdy. And the person who gets picked last in the NFL draft earns a moniker, which is Mr. Irrelevant. So they drafted uh, Trey Lance, third player in the pick, and they drafted Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant. As it would turn out, Trey Lance was a very big disappointment. He was injured often. He didn't play very well when he played. And they gave up on him and, 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 and traded him to Dallas for a, a, a single draft pick. And then Mr. Irrelevant, Brock Purdy, ended up, of course, leading them to the Super Bowl, which is going to be taking place tomorrow. The question is, what do we learn from this? And what we learn from this is making decisions is often very challenging. Uh, and you don't know what you get until you got it. And that's true for professional football teams trying to pick talent. And despite all the talent and all the millions of dollars and the scouts, they make a pick, and it turns out to be wrong. And then the pick that they didn't even think about that much turned out to be very, very right in ways they wouldn't have anticipated. Our question today is when you move from football to life, how do we think about those decisions that we make and we don't know what we got until we got it? And that could be where we live, that could be the profession that we're in, that could be the person that we married, that could be having children, that could be dealing with an illness. Um, along our journey, there are all of these decision points, and we never really know when we make the decision. And our reading today is the address for how to think about that phenomenon. So let's thank God for the gift of learning Torah together. so, dear colleagues, though I want to kind of access this question about we never really know what we get until after we got it, is a very uh, granular read 
of just a couple of verses from the Torah. This is going to be a different kind of class because it's going to be just a close textual read, really, of a few verses. Um, seven verses in total, but there's, uh, this is about when the people of Israel say yes to God's Torah. And it turns out that the, the phrase that gets a lot of press is na'asev nishma. Uh, we will obey and then we will do, or we will obey and then we will learn. Uh, na'asev nishma gets a lot of press, but if you read the text closely, they actually just say na'asev, we will do, and then a few verses later they say na'asev nishma. And I want to kind of unpack, it feels a little nerdy, but I want to unpack the difference between na'asev and na'asev nishma we will do, and we will do, and we will learn, um, and what that teaches us. So, um, uh, just real quick, like a few verses. Uh, this is Numbers, uh, this is Exodus, rather, 24. Then God said to Moses, come up to the Lord with Aaron, Nadav, and Avihu, and 70 elders of Israel, and bow low from afar. Moses alone shall come near the Lord but the others shall not come near, nor shall the people come up with him. Moses went and repeated to the people all the commands of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice, saying, All the things that the Lord has commanded, we will do. Moses then wrote down all the commands of the Lord. So note, first of all, colleagues, the, the leitmotif of call, all, right? Vayavo Moshe vayasaper la'am, eight, kol divrei Adonai. Moses came and related to the, to the people, kol divrei Adonai, all the words of the Lord. Vet kol hamishpatim, all of the statutes. Vayan kol ha'am, and all of the nations answered, kol echad, one voice. Vayamru kol hadavarim asher diber Adonai na'aseh. They said that, all of the things that God said, commanded, we will do. And then, and Moses writes it down. Then, early in the morning, Moses set up an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars for the tribes of Israel. He designated some young men among the Israelites, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed bulls as offerings of well-being to the Lord. Moses took one part of the blood and put it in the basins, and the other part of the blood he dashed against the altar. Then he took the record of the covenant and read it aloud to the people, and they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will faithfully do. Um, so just an addition of one word, vairu kol asher diber adonai na'aseh v'nishma. So all the that God has commanded, we will not seven ishma. That's verse seven. In verse four, uh, it's the same exact verse, except vayimru kol ha'am ashadibir adonai naaseh. All that God has commanded, we will do. So it seems like the Torah here is making some important point by repeating the same line, but in the first case it's just naaseh, and in the second case it's naaseh v'nishma. Na'asev nishma, by the way, is translated variously as we will certainly do, or we will faithfully do, or we will do, and we will learn. Um, so, colleagues, what is going on? A couple of things I want to say. First of all, I love the Hebrew here, where after all these calls, which means everything, there is a call with kof, that is the mm. voice. 
I love how they sound exactly the same and they are different. That's to begin with. Second, this is, you know, when he talks about the 70 elders of Israel, this is a perfect recipe for clergy who want to be successful with the board. You know, you come and you say, God told me to do that. And then all of them say, yes, we will do as you said. <laughs> that would be perfect in the world, right? Yes, and that works very well. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Michelle, what's going on here? Um, so I agree with you, Elias. Just so beautiful here. Um, but secondly, I love how Moses writes it all down in between. And I always have this image of, you know, the first time they hear him and they're like, yeah, we're going to do it. They're kind of at a rally. They're, they're very excited and brought up by everything that he said, but like they don't quite know all that he said. And the next time I feel like, you know, in between Moses gave them a lot of homework. And they, they see, now they have this big book, and maybe they're pausing for a second and saying, oh, yes, we're going to do it, and we got to take some time to figure out what it so, means. Right, so the first time it's oral, Moses says it, and they say na'aseh. The second time Moses writes it down, gives them a syllabus, gives them yeah. a binder, gives them a lot of pages, and they say na'aseh v'nishma. We will do and we will say, or we will do and we will learn. <laughs> So, but here's, um, so yeah, so there's something different between oral and written, that's for sure, oral Torah and written Torah. Um, but what is the, as you experience Na'aseh and then Na'aseh v'nishma, either it's an emphatic, you know, exclamation mark, we will certainly do, we will faithfully do, uh, or we will do and we will learn, or we will do and we will understand. Um, what to you is the force of the Vinishma in the context of the story? To me, to me, the first thing that comes to mind, and I don't know, Wes, if you want to take the, the class in that direction, we had uh, Daniel Hartman here on Monday. He was amazing. You can listen to him all day long. And he said something that, you know, I wasn't ready to hear, which was that after the attack of October 7, Israel went all in attacking Hamas. All right, and uh, some, there are some criticism in Israel that they didn't have a strategy for that, that they didn't think first what to do. They reacted with a kishkes and, you know, we are going to destroy them and kill them all. Right. And, uh, and that is something that comes to mind if Naseve Nishma would have been something, you know, helpful in those days, or even Nishma. I mean, let's, let's, let's first talk about it and then we'll act on it. Right. Yeah, so I think, right, so, so let's just back up, and I definitely want to talk about Israel very much, but I think the Nishma piece of Naseh Nishma is, um, is that you have a greater understanding based on doing. Like, first you do, and then after you do, you understand. So, you know, take marriage. No couple under their chuppah could begin to understand what it's like to be married for 20, 30, 40, 50 years with all the ups and all the downs and all the wonderful things and all the inevitable disappointments and shatterings of life. What does it mean to weather all that together? No couple could know that when they're in their 20s or 30s and standing under the chuppah. But when, you're, you know, when you've been married for a good number of years and you've been through that together, then you get nishma. So what you're really saying under the chuppah is na'asa. We're going to do this together. You don't get na'asev and nishma. You don't get what that even means until you've been married for a while. And then after you're married 40 years, like, whoa, whoa. I, now I get it. The same thing, by the way, raising kids. 
right? God gives you a blessing of a child, and you're just so delighted. You hold this baby, and you're so delighted. What's it going to mean, the ups and the downs and the joys and the frustrations of parenting children through all the ages and stages? There's no way you know that in the labor and delivery room. You only know that many, many years later. Uh, so I think that's the sense of, of nishma that first you do, and then you come to understand what it means only with a lot of experience. Yeah, in, a, in a personal situation for me, the biggest decision, obviously, that I made in my life was not to marry Lorena or to accept the job of Temple Emmanuel. It was to emigrate, right? right? To leave everything, and that's that's a, you know it's a terrible decision you have to make or a good decision, but you have no idea how your life is going to play out, right? And uh, that that to me is the most the most resonating with my personal story. Right, and you, so you made the decision to move to America without knowing what the decision to move to America would feel like, would be like, etc. And I, I think that, that's a dramatic example of it. But really, you know, all of us face those kinds of decisions. You move to any place, it's, it's, it's obviously much bigger when, you, when you're switching countries and languages and cultures and all that. But even you go from West Coast to East Coast or a anywhere, it's, you know, you went, Michelle, from California to, to, to Boston. Etc. I went from Denver to Boston. It's moving is you is went a big from deal. Brookline to Newton. <laughs> you went from Brooklyn. So, um, so Michelle and Dan, when you think about Vinishma, what is it saying to to each of you about the process of making decisions and then sticking with the decisions we've made? I want to ask you. Um, that's great. Uh, it's it is really really complex. Every virtually every decision that you make, you never you're never going to know the outcome. And um, you know, like for instance, the uh, the, the decision to, to for for Sue and I to adopt, we didn't know what the outcome was going to be. Right. You know, that's you know, you have no idea what that's going to be like. Um, and then, you know, can then we just double click on that, Dan? Because well, you think like you're you're going to go to China and bring Emma Rose back to Newton, such a humongous decision, mm -hmm. and you have no idea what that's going to look like or feel like or be like, and um, Right, and so I think that's, yes, and th th so it is with all this, even getting married to Sue to begin with, getting married to our partners to begin with. Like the biggest decisions we have to make, they're all kind of a leap of faith. Yeah, right. The other thing I want to point out is Elias pointed out, you know, and you're talking about like nerdy on the text, right? So the first time, it's kol ha'am, uh, says na'aseh. Uh, right. The second time, it doesn't say kol ha'am na'aseh nishma. So the word, so the word "coal" is missing the second time. So, so I'm thinking about thinking about. Okay, the first time, as Michelle said, yes, it's a big rally cry, and then Moses reads all the laws, and they say, "Oh," as, as you pointed out, "Oh, wait a minute, there's like there's like about 150 things we have to remember on a daily basis according right. to this," and um, so maybe. Maybe we're not as all in as we thought we were going to be from the beginning. Right. So. say picking up on that, Dan say Vanishma to me has always represented kind of an orientation towards life. That first you say yes, and then you understand that you have work to do. And, and I think that's so important and profound as we navigate all these moments, right, as you're here in America, and I remember when you became a citizen here, and what an extraordinary moment that was. And this year, you've lost your mother 
And what a painful moment that is to have been separated for so long. And neither of those things could you have imagined. And both of those things you worked at each day, your relationship with your mom on, uh, you know, each Shabbat alive, I would see you there. And, um, you know, certainly becoming an American citizen and understanding what America means. I, I've watched you work at that day, day after day, even as you're, you're parenting your kids. And so I think the, the nishma for me has always represented all that hard work that we do once we make the decision. Right. Um, I want to just uh, go back to the biblical story for a second, because after the people, uh, what do you do with the following? Which is, after the people say, the rest of the story is not that they actually faithfully do everything God wants, but the biblical narrative is that they just um, regularly violate what God wants. I mean, the whole story of the, of the people of Israel and God is a story of disappointment, that they're always uh, a-whoring after the, the Midianites, or they build the golden calf, or uh, they're always complaining, or they're violating, or they're, uh, they're, they're lusting after other gods, etc. So how do you fit that into the story? That they all say na'aseh, you know, they say na'aseh v'nishma, and then, in fact, there's a lot of backsliding. And, and then, in fact, regularly, the, the main motif is not that they do it, but that they fail to do it. Yeah. What do we get from all that? Well, I love your point there, Dan, right? There's, there is a missing coal, right? right. There's, some, there's some part, yeah, okay, <laughs> now that we see the syllabus, right. it, it's a little harder to, to try to do this. But even fundamentally, it wasn't the niceties that they missed. Like, we talked about this last week. They did the golden calf. <laughs> Or in Numbers 25, they have a sexual orgy with the Midianites. Uh, so it's not like minor points they miss, like major points they but, miss. But it's like that joke that, that we sometimes tell before the kids. Um, it's not that funny, but you'll often stand before the ark with our little preschoolers here right. and talk to them about how God first brought the Torah to the, you know, name your people that you right. would throw in here, all of the ites throughout. Right. And, and they said, what's in it? Right? right. And then, oh, no, 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 thank you. I don't want, oh, you mean no idolatry? No, thank you. Right? right. No, I have to be nice to the people around me? No, thank you. Right. That there, there is this force of, of Torah that asks a, a huge amount from us, not just on the little details, but even on the big ones that are not just sometimes, but often hard for us to live up to or even want to live up to. Yeah, and what I want to ask you is, does the fact that the Israelites regularly fail, according to the biblical narrative, they regularly fail at, at upholding their commitments, and not on the niceties, but on the big points, like don't have other gods besides me, they, 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 they fail at that. Does that make it more helpful and more accessible or, or less? So I, I want to just, I, I was thinking about a conversation I had with my daughter, uh, who's training to be a, a, a therapist, and she's been working with substance abuse disorders. They don't call them, at least in California where she's getting trained, they don't call it addiction because that's um, it's more pejorative. They call it substance abuse disorders. And one of the cardinal teachings uh, that she shared with me is that they tell the uh, therapists who are working with somebody who is a substance abuse disorder to alcohol or to drugs or to ser really serious stuff, that everybody gets a C in terms of um, 
following through on their commitments. And they tell them that at the outset. Mm -hmm. So let's say you, you decide that you want to um, be sober and you decide you want to stop with the alcohol, that they're told in advance you're going to get a C in that because it kind of presumes that people fall off the wagon mm -hmm. and that it's not like you make your commitment and then you're done and, and you're just, uh, everything is smooth sailing, that the system assumes people get a C, they make a commitment, they fall off the wagon, they remake the commitment, they fall off the wagon, et cetera. And when she shared that with me, I thought about the story of the biblical Israelites who say na'aseh, who say na'aseh v'nishma, and who then build the golden calf. Um, what do you think about, how do you think about failure in terms of the decisions that we make, failure in terms of upholding our commitments? Well, I, I think that it's, we are talking more here about universal condition of, of human beings, not so much about Jewish people in this case, since you brought what your daughter is, is training to be with. It's, it's, it's nature, it's, it's um, I mean, if we would be robots, you know, like we commit to something and we do it perfectly every single day and and uh, we have routines and we never deviate from that. I don't think humans can fit in that category. Right. One of the glorious things about from a midrashic perspective is that we don't say first what's in it and then we'll do it. Right. Usually you ask, what are the terms and conditions? Right. We didn't do that. We said, we're in. We're in. Okay, now we're going to learn. And that's, that is such a beautiful template for our life. And, and yet when you don't know what you've accepted, when you don't know the challenges of the road ahead, it's, it's very easy to get that seat. Michelle, let me ask right. you a question as a mother. When you go at home and you tell your children, kids, dinner is served. In my house, they say, what's for dinner? Yeah. You know, they never say, thank you. What's for dinner? You know, it's like, it's, it's there. It's human condition to ask and, right. and to, to, I mean, I love, I love our, our people, Israel, the ones who wrestles with God constantly through generations. We've been doing that. But you're, but you're saying, Michelle, that when you say yes, before you know what you're saying yes to, that it makes the sea more likely. Because it turns out maybe, you know, maybe it's... And I think, you know, with the addiction metaphor that you spoke to, I, I think that's really true because whenever you say yes, every January 1st, right, everybody's going and they're kicking all their habits. Right. And then the, the hard piece comes in. And if you don't expect that hard piece, if somebody didn't say to you at the outset, hey, by the way... You're right. going to reach a point where that rally, where all those people with you are, are you're not feeling the energy anymore of that. And you right. have to encounter a real profound lack or a desire that, that is unfulfilled or a template or a habit that is ingrained and you have to uproot it. When you get to that point, you don't know yet what you're going to need to bring with you. Right. And if you don't have some kind of a sense to prepare for that moment, then right. you can't, yeah, you can't sort of, meet that it's moment. It's sort of right. what is happening with our kids in Israel that go to, um, to Gaza. Right. So actually, let's, let's pivot for a second to Israel because I, I, I do want to think about Daniel and our response to that. For those who weren't at Daniel's lecture, it was uh, super sober, super somber, and super unflinchingly honest. And here's what Daniel said, and he's made similar kind of points in his podcast, but this was really 
um, very out there, and he was there in person, so it landed with a particular uh, forcefulness. He said that Israel, there's a limit to Israel's power, and that for Israel's very serious problems, it does not have solutions to solve these problems. It doesn't have a, a, a solution for Hamas, which after 120 plus days of war, Daniel's number was that we've gotten to 20% of the tunnels. Four months later, 80% of the tunnels are undisturbed. And Daniel made the point, very sobering indeed, that once the army got out of the north of Gaza, Hamas went back into the north of Gaza. And then he said it's much worse even with Hezbollah, that they have all these kinds of missiles that are super sophisticated, super effective, and that Iron Dome cannot solve. Um, and he pointed out that the Israeli town of Metula, 25% of the housing has already been destroyed by Hezbollah's missiles, and that Israel has no answer for that. And so um, I said to him, uh, when I was in dialogue with him, one of his cardinal precepts is, I don't do pessimism. I said, how do you not do pessimism, given what you just said? And his answer is, you live. And then he goes on to say um, uh, that he now packs heat. He carries a gun, and Monday is his grandfather day. He's Baba, and he takes his grandchildren to the Israeli version of Jimboree. And when he goes to Jimboree, he packs heat. And when he sees other parents, like a, uh, a young mom with three kids at Jimboree, she's packing heat. And that, he find that, that just is. Zionism is dealing with what just is and Israelis have to be vigilant. Um, and then he goes on to say, and then we'll, I, well, I won't come back to you guys, that when he thinks about the heroes of the Jewish people, um, he said he himself came from a family that did not have immediate relatives who died in the Shoah, but he thinks the heroes of Jewish history are the survivors of the Shoah who lost what they lost, and they decided to affirm life anyway. They lost what they lost, and they got married, Anyway, they lost what they lost, and they decided to bring children into the world anyway. And he said it's because of that survivor courage that the Jewish people continued after the Holocaust. And he said that's what Israel and Israelis need to tap into now. So that, to now come back to Nasev and Ishma, and you don't know what you got until you got it. And you don't know what marriage is until you're 40 years into it. And you don't know what ch you know, raising children is until you're 40 years into it. And you don't know what Israel is until you're 75 years into it. And what he's saying is that 75 years into Israel, what we now know is to be in Israel is to have serious menace, existential menace. Oh, but he also said Israel has enemies that are brutal. He has, Israel has enemies that slaughter children. And they're getting more vicious, and they're getting more talented at being vicious. And that just is. And that 75 years into it, to be in Israel means to pack heat when you go to Jimboree. But therefore, you're not doing pessimism because you're living. So, Na'asev and Ishma, like, wow, that's to be a Zionist 75 years later. Colleagues, what came up for you when you heard that? Yeah, the, 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 just to light up a little bit about that sovereign reality is uh, when he said, you know, God gave us the promised land. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you could have chosen any other place that would be better. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the cruel reality, the cruel reality of living in the Middle East, and we are constantly saying prayers for the IDF and these kids who are 20, 21, 19, 
22 who go to the front, go to inside Gaza like your nephew, you know, and they don't know what's going to be. They right. don't know if they are going to come back. It's so yeah. sad. Yeah, so Israel, you, uh, Michelle, you and, and Mike met in Israel. Your parents live in Israel. You're such a Zionist. But here in Na'asevin Ishma, we don't know what it means to be a Zionist until you've been one for 75 years. What do you do with that now? That's a question that all of us are trying to answer. It's certainly one I'm answering for myself as I check my WhatsApp each morning to try to check in on my parents and you know think about them there. Um, I think my, we're preparing to, God willing, send you all off uh, tomorrow, right? right? Yeah, to, we're, we're going to Israel. Israel tomorrow, yeah. um, you're going tomorrow to Israel my, yeah. at Gan Academy. You know, my uh, my kid, God willing, will be able to go with Gan in May. So you know, we're thinking about the ways that, as Danielle charged us, we can just show up and be part of the family and be there in Israel with Israelis. And it's really hard from here. It's just, yeah. it's hard from here. Yeah. Dan, um, what about you? You have a brother who lives in Israel. Mm -hmm. um, when you hear what Danielle says, packing heat to go to Jamboree, um, what, what are you thinking about? Well, um, that, that's, that's been my brother's, you know, mode, modus operandi for, for all his life. You know, he's... Um, Your brother walks with a gun? Yeah, always. Um, be, uh, he's, you know, he served in the Israeli army. He was in Lebanon three times in the 80s. Um, and he always uh, is, is, um, is vigilant about, about that. Um, you, know, he, you know, he takes his grandchildren to the pool, to the, uh, you know, to other events. Uh, always, always with weapons, and his um, and his uh, children uh, also um, carry, you know, carry weapons all the time. So that's that's the reality that they've lived um, for their entire lives. Um, you know, yeah. uh, maybe harder now, uh, but that that has always been his his. So does, so I, I find that personally, you know, I, I I've been very rattled. I think is the word I would use uh, ever since I heard Danielle say that. Um, somehow the notion of having a pack heat to go to Jimboree, what rattles me about it is, how do you sell that to a future, that ha to, to a Jewish generation that would have a choice? Right? Was, if you're a 20-something beginning your life and you have a choice, um, how, how can Israel compete in the, in the marketplace of, of, of choices if the choice is, okay, could live in Newton or Brookline or uh, Malibu, California, uh, or Denver, Colorado, or Austin, Texas, and you can go to Jimboree without a gun. And all those places have their own problems and school shootings, and Lord knows America is hardly perfect, and Lord knows America obviously has a huge gun problem. Um, but still, the notion that there's somebody who wants to slaughter my children is not part of our, of our, of our landscape, and Israel is, is what it is. So I was just, I've been very rattled about how does... Israel continue to generate a new generation of people who want to live there, given that. And I guess my question to you is, does the Torah have any consolation for us? Does the Torah have any leavening wisdom for us? As we think about the complexities, of, we make a commitment, I love you, honey, I'm going to marry you. I love you, child, I'm going to raise you. 
I love you mission or profession or work. I'm going to devote my life to you. I love you Israel. I'm going to be in a lifelong relationship with you. And as it gets harder and harder or more and more complex over the years, more and more challenges, what's the leavening wisdom of Na'asev and Ishma as we close this class out? So um, I think that that phrase is actually exactly what we need these days. Because in America, we have this blessing that we can plan the future. We can say, in 10 years from now, 20 years from now, I'll retire. I'll, have, I'll drive my Ferrari. Well, it's just a dream. <laughs> Anyways, I'll retire in Florida. We have that ability because life in a certain way is predictable, right? Our Israeli relatives and friends don't have that. And this idea that what's going to be the future of Israel in five, ten years will be peace, will be two states, is too far out from us. We have to concentrate day by day. Now, Sever Ishma works out really well now. Yeah, and to me, that first say, I think of the word Scandinavia that Danielle used so often, Scandinavia. You know, we, we had this image that we could be in the Middle East like Scandinavia, and, and that is the dream, and that is the, the hope, and that is that first say, Like, say we're going to be here, and we're going to turn this into the beacon. This is Orla Goyim. This is the place that we're going to make that's going to be like Scandinavia, we're going to create, I mean, better, right? We're going right. to create a world here, high-tech high nation, startup nation. It, the, the, what emanates from here is going to change the world in such a positive way. And then that's, that's not a say, right? And then you have that second not nishma, which maybe, you know, although we've been talking about it, like all the things that you don't know, and you have to go and learn them, there's another way to look at it entirely, which is this time, not kol, we don't have, we have ha'am. The people now say, okay, we're gonna do it nonetheless. We're gonna keep returning to this place and God willing, there will be another generation. I agree yeah. with you, it's very unsettling when you look at how's the next generation gonna buy into this, that that, that dream of only high-tech nation Right. If if that if that wasn't our our end point, if right. we're knocked off of that, where do we go? We need another generation that comes and says, "Okay, I see that. Not say, and I'll do it, and right. I'll keep learning, I'll keep trying, I'll keep working towards right. God willing, whatever will be in this place." Thank you, Michelle. Dan. What's your uh, what do you take away from Na Seven Ishma in this challenging season? Yeah, I'm um, very similar to what, what Michelle um, said. There's a uh, there's a wonderful Yiddish expression, "im ein brera, ze oicha brera," having no choice. If you have no choice, that's your choice. The choice is that you have to choose to live and to just go on. Yeah. So here's uh, here's how I'll end this. Um, life is really hard, and there's just no easy journey. I've not heard of the person who got married and just had an easy 60-year marriage with no issues. I've not heard of the parent who was blessed to have children and it was just an endless slope of nachas, a flow of joy and blessing and there was just no issues. To be married is to work your way through problems. To have kids, to be blessed with kids is to work your way through problems. I've not heard of the person who has a purpose-driven life 
who has a mission, whether it's a church, synagogue, or mosque, or whether, whatever, whatever cause, where it's just easy street. By definition, it's always friction, it's always bumping up against problems, trying to overcome, and trying to transcend, and trying to grow, and trying to lift up. Um, so, what I, and, and the same thing is true with Israel and the Jewish story. From the beginning, beginning being the biblical period and in and, and late 19th century with the recreation of the state of Israel and all the ways of Zionism, etc., it's always been a challenge. And it feels to me that the lesson of Nasev and Ishma is that we're judged in life um, by our ability to persevere with the commitments that matter the most to us. Um, not because they're easy, but because they're difficult. We know they're going to be difficult, and that's why we do it, because they're difficult and worthy, and that's why we do it. Marriage is difficult and worthy, and that's why we do it. Bringing kids into the world is difficult and worthy, and that's why we do it. Israel is difficult and worthy, and that's why we do it. Nasev Nishma tells us, keep on keeping on, because we're judged in life by whether we can keep on keeping on when keeping on is really hard, but worthy. Shabbat Shalom and enjoy the Super Bowl.